Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is Make It Pine. Make It Pine. M-I-P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Pine. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, we have in studio with us for the podcast one of the biggest gets you can <laughs> get right now. I saw her on TV about a week ago. Mm-hmm. I said, like, oh, this is interesting. Let me try to get, get her on the show. As we were scheduling, little did I realize mm. that a Jonathan Turley, would so much invoke the impeachment of Andrew Johnson uh, in his statement. And it just riled everyone and a lot of inaccuracies. She has written uh, the definitive uh, book, uh, historical book about the impeachment of Andrew Johnson, the trial of Andrew Johnson and the dream of a just nation entitled the impeachers. Uh, She is at the, New School and Columbia, correct? That's right. Uh, The author of several books, including Ecstatic Nation, Confidence Crisis and Compromise, uh, 1848-1877. That was named the best book of the year by the New York Times. She's written other great works, but this is the hot one (laughs) right now, The Impeachers. Brenda Wineapple is here with us. Brenda, how are you? I'm good. Pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. So you, <laughs> you really are qualified to be to be there giving your own testimony. If if we're going to talk about yeah. a frame of reference, well, I'm not a legal scholar or a lawyer. Um, I just look at the past, and I wanted to find out what happened because I had a feeling. You know, you start with hunches that I'd been kind of misinformed and a lot of my understanding of the impeachment of Andrew Johnson seemed to almost come out of the birth of a nation, mm. you know? And, mm. and in a certain sense, um, when I told people I was working on this book, and if they weren't entirely bored and walked away from me, they would say, oh, I know something about that from Profiles and Courage, JFK's book. And if you go to that book, what he says about the impeachment of Andrew Johnson is that there was nothing at stake. And I thought, how could that be? You had a civil war, you had the abolition of slavery, you had the first ever presidential assassination, and before you turn around, you have the first ever impeachment. Mm-hmm. That seems interesting to me. Well, and, and also in the JFK book, mm. wasn't he uh, saying that the courage there yes. was the senator who cast the deciding vote not to acquit? Yes, was the, the his name was from, Edmund Moross, he was from, from Kansas. Kansas. Junior senator from Kansas, but if you look carefully, and, and JFK or Ted Sorensen or whoever wrote that book, kind of soft pedals the notion that 
that there was a little bit what we'd call today quid pro quo mm-hmm. going on, that uh, if he wasn't getting money, which he probably did, then Ross was getting favors for that particular vote. Mm-hmm. So it was hardly a vote of courage. In fact, it was just the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Which to me was kind of interesting because it's actually paradoxical to our image of Kennedy himself, that he would <laughs> laud something like that. Well, who knows if he really wrote the book. Well, that's true. Yeah. And I think a lot of that chapter was taken from Ross's own memoirs. And, you know, memoirs tend to be self-justifying, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you have a guilty conscience mm-hmm. or if you have a guilty conscience. Well, well let's start this since you brought sure. that up. Ross, the senator, right. was the the vote of acquittal. Um, one uh, vote. One vote. He one did, vote. So Andrew Johnson dodged it by one vote. Right. You, your research suggests that there were was either money or favors right. or there both. Were, there were favors for sure. I can actually document the favors, and I do in the book. Um, after the vote, uh, Ross would write Johnson. I mean, they're actually letters. You know, you think how stupid can you be? There are letters saying, "Well, because of my vote." Would you please do this? And because of my vote, you know, basically you owe me that. And Ross was involved with a group of people who had basically been Southern sympathizers. They were Democrats, which is not the same as Democrat as today. And they right. had been... It's the opposite. It's flipped. Just the opposite. Right. Just flipped. It's the easiest way to understand it. Mm-hmm. And he was involved with um, even a, a, a sort of well-known woman at the time who had... Southern sympathies. And Mm -hmm. so there was a a lot going on behind the scenes. um, And there were there was clearly money changing hands at this distance. And, you know, in the 21st century, I can't nail it down. But there was actually a, a House congressional committee investigating the favors and the money and, the you know, really dark money and the bribery that was going back and forth to keep Johnson in office. But there was also another consideration, too, to be fair, and that was there was an election around the corner and the Republicans who wanted Johnson out of office, but they they had an alternative and they had a very popular alternative and his name was Ulysses S. Grant. Mm, mm-hmm. And he was a popular man. Right, right. And so the Republicans were a little bit afraid if Johnson were gotten you know, removed from office, since there was no vice president, Johnson had been the vice president under Lincoln, who would you get? You'd get a man named Ben Wade. And Ben Wade was a senator from Ohio and he was a long standing radical or progressive, we'd call today, you know, and he was for what was called soft money, and he was for giving women the vote. I mean, you know, black men is one thing, but black women and white women, forget that. So he was really out there, and they thought, no, they didn't really want Grant saddled with someone like that in the White House for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, Charlie... We have a clip. I want to just take a listen to what Turley had to say yesterday and then get you to react to it. Folks, we're going to get a little bit into what really happened uh, with Johnson's impeachment and and what parallels there may have been. But here is uh, Jonathan, Professor Jonathan Turley um, from um, uh, yesterday's uh, hearing. My testimony explores the impeachment cases of Nixon, Johnson, and Clinton. The closest of these three cases is to the 1868 impeachment of Andrew Johnson. It is not a model or an association that this committee should relish. In that case, a group of opponents of the presidents called the Radical Republicans 
created a trapdoor crime in order to impeach the president. They even defined it as a high misdemeanor. There was another shared aspect besides the atmosphere of that impeachment and also the unconventional style of the two presidents. And that shared element is speed. This impeachment would rival the Johnson impeachment as the shortest in history, depending on how one counts the relevant days. Now, there are three distinctions when you look at these, or the three commonalities when you look at these past cases. All involved established crimes. This would be the first impeachment in history where there would be considerable debate, and in my view, not compelling evidence of the commission of a crime. Second is the abbreviated period of this investigation, which is problematic and puzzling. This is a facially incomplete and inadequate record in order to impeach a president. So, so let, let's start with the first thing he said. <laughs> the trap door? The trap door crime. The trap door crime. What that means, uh-huh. and it really burns me. Um, <laughs> sorry. I, I, yeah. Sorry. But, uh, you <laughs> know, okay. and it's just really so annoying. I mean, it's fine if you don't read my book, but read some history. I mean, history since, no, I'm, no, I'm not, since I'm, civil rights, you know. This is required reading over the holidays. <laughs> We're going to have a pop quiz on it when we come back from Christmas. Okay. <laughs> but trapdoor, what that suggests, what, what Professor Turley is suggesting is that the so-called radical Republicans, really scary guys, um, set up a trap, you know, uh, for Johnson to fall into. That is so wrong. First of all, it's wrong in the face of it. The radical Republicans had a vision of America that was in complete different, was a completely different from Johnson's. And their vision of America was um, a, to transform America from a, a land of slavery, of sin, if you want to call it that, and to a land of freedom. And to do that, what they felt is you have to get not just rid of slavery, okay, you have to get rid of the effects of slavery. Because the effects of slavery can be long-lasting. So what they were doing was setting up a situation, because Johnson had obstructed them in every time they tried to do something like pass civil rights legislation, civil rights legislation, um, giving people citizenship, uh, giving people due process. You know, there were four million formerly enslaved people in the South that had to be dealt with, that had been deprived of education. So these so-called radicals, really scary people said, look, these are human beings and and they have human rights Mm -hmm. and we have to give them civil rights, maybe even political rights. Johnson was opposed to that. He said, this is a white man's country and it should be a white man's government. So let's just start there. When he was obstructionist, when he abused power, when he used executive action to reconstruct the South along lines of white supremacists, Congress wanted to stop him, and they kept trying to rein him in. The Tenure of Office Act, that's the trap, so-called trap door, was set up so that Johnson could not fire his Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton. Edwin Stanton was in charge of the military as the Secretary of War. He had been Secretary of War under Lincoln. He was in charge of the military. The military also through Congress to protect 
black men and women and their white allies, Republicans in the South, who were being slaughtered, who were being massacred, and who would certainly not be able to go to the polls. Um, the, the military was protecting them. Stanton was protecting the military. Johnson wanted him out of office. So Congress passed something called the Tenure of Office Act, which said that any officer, like a cabinet member, who had been appointed with the advice and consent of the Senate could only be fired with the advice and consent of the Senate. Mm-hmm. Johnson, to make a long story short, fired Stanton because he wanted to get rid of this guy. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to sort of get rid of the military uh, officers who were in the, the South. And they weren't necessarily anti-slavery or abolitionist or even uh, sort of uh, racially woke or anything. What they were was trying to keep law and order. I mean, it's very, very simple. So Johnson violates that law. That's not a trapdoor. That's not an ensnarement. They're trying to rein him in and protect people. It had nothing to do with Johnson and trying to get him impeached. In fact, they hadn't thought of, they'd been thinking of impeaching Johnson, but had voted against it. They weren't Mm -hmm. so, they weren't in such a hurry to do that. What they wanted to do was change the direction of the country. That's what they intended yeah. to do. So yeah. it was not trapdoor. So that's the first thing. So that's kind of like um, it would be if Trump were to argue um, that the Democrats tricked him into colluding with Russia. Mm. Or, exactly. Or that Mueller's, um, uh, uh, the Mueller report um, led him to believe it was okay to call and bribe the, the president of no, the no, Ukraine. No, no, exactly, exactly. No, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's you know, pretty... That's pretty. But, but, well, you know, when he says Obama, the Obama people were 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 taping him or listening right. in, basically he said he's trying to say that they were conspiring against him or they were entrapping him. Trying to it's it's him, the right. same kind of thing, and yeah. it's, it's shown to be bogus, yeah. but it's trying to set that up in what... what you know, Professor Turley is basically saying, is that untruth? He's he's saying that it's a truth. And if you look at the historical record, it's certainly not. Yeah. But that's politics. That's propaganda. That yeah. was the propaganda yeah. of the South, frankly. So the other point he made was on uh, the time frame, mm-hmm. uh, how this impeachment would be quicker uh, than any impeachment Previously. I don't know what he means by that exactly, because uh, the House voted to impeach Andrew Johnson in February, you know, 1868. And, and then the trial happened. I mean, of course, it's going to be quick. It was quick because Johnson broke a law. It, law wasn't set up to ensnare him. He broke the law. And basically, um, that was the narrow definition of what he had done, the so-called crime. But there were other more complicated crimes. And I only say complicated because impeachment, you know, doesn't have to depend. The conditions, uh, impeachable offenses don't have to be actual breaking of the law. They can be abuse of power. They can be obstruction of justice. That's what I'm saying, more complicated. Johnson was also impeached for those things. He had denied the legitimacy of Congress. And you know why he denied the legitimacy of Congress? Congress? He said if those 11 seceded states that had waged war against the federal government, if they weren't back in Congress, then no legislation was valid. You know what that means? It means even the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery wasn't valid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really unthinkable. And, of course, you allude to uh, uh, Charlie's uh, other argument that this would be 
to Trump impeachment would be the first where a law wasn't actually broken. But it was. Uh, yeah, right. And and but in the case, but it wasn't the only thing. It wasn't. He, the, you know, it wasn't the only thing. It wasn't just oh, we broke this silly law that was later. Yeah. Um, and because that law was deemed later unconstitutional, it was repealed. But it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that he didn't break it at the time. Right, that he but it was the only wasn't the only thing that Johnson had done. I right. Mean, you know, there were what eleven articles. There were eleven articles of Johnson, and one, I think at least one of those articles, two, dealt with larger issues. Okay, okay, you know, but, yeah. But but I believe was it was it ten or eleven that um, indicted him for having Trump-style rallies. Well, that was ten. Yeah, that was ten because of his. Um, Really, in a sense, I don't remember the language specifically. Vulgarity, indecent language. He was calling for the execution of his perceived enemies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was even beyond lock her up, um, but it was around the same kind of context where he would goad people into really, in a sense, violence, and he turned his back on the kind of violence. That was going on in the South. There were there, there were slaughters on the street. Um, the, he was he was doing this tour, the swing <laughs> around the circle. It was tour. called the swing around the circle. And as I was reading about it yeah. in, in your book, I mean, it sounded like I mean, if you just re- substituted John, Andrew Johnson for Donald Trump, I know, it's scary. And the stuff he was and I'm the victim. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm persecuted. You know, <laughs> nobody suffered as much as me. Everybody is out to get me. Those nasty radicals, you know, they don't understand what I'm doing for the country. I'm just trying to make the country great again and bring it all back yeah, together. Yeah. yeah, he was a victim. He was he saw himself. He he went around and he was he told Frederick Douglass and and others that he was going to be the Moses of black people. I mean, it's chilling when you think of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know. He says to Frederick Douglass, "Have you ever been on a plantation?" Anything? Doesn't he know who he who Douglass is? Right, right. So so Andrew Johnson didn't know Frederick Douglass was on a plantation. At least he knew he was alive. And, and not, but Donald Trump thought he was still alive. I know. He thinks he's still alive. He's doing great things. Frederick Douglass is doing great things. He's getting he's finally getting the attention. <laughs> he's, that's what he said. He's finally he's getting the attention he deserves. Um, so um, there are some some pretty significant uh, similarities between between the two of them. What about well, well first, let's do this, because mm-hmm. it, it's something I would probably benefit from your knowledge about. And I'm sure others would as well. So Lincoln was a Republican. Right. Johnson was a Democrat. He was. So that's people don't understand that. So wait a minute. I thought the, a presidential President, vice president, had to yeah. be on the same ticket. It would be well, same party. Yes and no. I mean, for that election, 1864, there was a coalition. It was called the National Union Party. Okay. So that was a way of getting around the fact that it was a, a Republican and a Democrat on the same ticket. But, you know, Lincoln was a very savvy politician. But he didn't think in 1864 he was going to win. The tide hadn't turned. You know, the military tide hadn't turned in the war. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to balance the ticket. So he got rid of, he had, you know, he had a, a wonderful person, but somebody who didn't bring any new life to the ticket. And so he chose Andrew Johnson, who was a Democrat, and he was 
the senator from Tennessee. So he was a Southerner. He was mm-hmm. actually born in North Carolina to balance the ticket and to basically keep the border states in the union, too, by having this Southern Democrat. The interesting thing about Johnson, though, and this is how he was known in 1864, he was known as a courageous man who stood up, the only white Southerner in the Senate who stood up against secession. You know, and he basically said, secession is terrible. I believe in the Union. I believe in the Constitution. You know, you shouldn't to the South, to South Carolina, to Jefferson Davis. You should, you cannot leave. You And and he was burned in effigy from one end of Tennessee to the other. And the North, and so he was thought of a traitor in the South, but in the North thought he was a hero. Mm-hmm. So, so Lincoln was trying to be, you know, savvy and pragmatic right. about this. Um, so... But when we look at what Johnson did mm. when Lincoln died, um, and and also you know, Rem Barber and I preach about this a lot. I don't mm-hmm. know which one of us started. We don't, but mm-hmm. we talk about the period that's called reclamation, mm-hmm. when you know Reconstruction was being turned right back around. Right. Was Johnson just saying that to get on the ticket? Was he being insincere? Because it, his his politics after that that even led to impeachment was so much the opposite of being anti-secessionist. Well, one thing, no, in one way it's not. It it does make sense. Um, He was anti-secessionist, but you don't go one step beyond that. And he says, he says slavery is better protected within the union than outside of it. So he's for the union, but that does not mean he's anti-slavery. He's not an abolitionist. His racial views are are pretty awful, but nobody cares at this point because of what he represents. And he was only going to be a vice president, which meant to Lincoln, who obviously, for obvious reasons, didn't think he was going to be dead, you right. know, right after the inauguration, basically, and thought, well, if this is kind of a figurehead. This will help me finish the war to help me prosecute the war because the Democrats running against me want to conciliate the South and I, that's not going to happen. So that anyway, that explains Johnson so that when he gets in office, he can still be pro union, but his idea of union is, as he says, the constitution as it is the union as it was. Mm. So basically he wants to put the country back together again he has to admit slavery is over, but slavery by another name, that's okay. He puts in or he reconstructs Southern legislatures. He, he goes into office, takes the oath of office in April 1865. Congress is in recess. Congressmen go to him and say, don't you think we ought to have a special session? Because Congress gets to decide the qualifications of its own members. He won't have a special session. He takes on himself reconstructing so-called the South, which means Southern white legislatures began passing something called black codes. Yeah. These black codes, as I said before, slavery by another name. Mm-hmm. You know, if mm-hmm. you're black, you can't travel freely. You can't marry. You can't serve on juries. You get no due process. What's that about, really? Yeah. Yeah. And so by the time Congress comes into session, there's already a tremendous tension. And what you just described, Mm -hmm. his reestablishment of the South, his racism, quite frankly, was that 
a, a, an impeachment charge in and of itself? Not really. Okay. I mean, in a certain sense, you know, I mean, as, as awful as racism is, you, you can't take somebody's views and say that's impeachable because, you know, that's right. a slippery slope in right, a certain right, sense. Right. You know, I don't like blonde people, so, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I'm prejudiced against that. So no, but underneath that, the refusal to take the victory, the union victory, in its full meaning, which is to say to transform the country to something where um, we have equal opportunity for all people, where all people are created equal, you know, as the country is supposed to represent, sure, in that sense, he's being impeached for holding that back, for squandering the union victory. Brenda Wineapple with us, folks, the impeachers. Uh, and obviously, the title of your book is also really about yeah. those who were doing the impeaching. Exactly. So talk to us, if you would, so we can draw the parallels between Trump and Johnson, Lord have mercy. Uh, but <laughs> what about the impeachers themselves? Is is there is it was was one of the impeachers at that time an Adam Schiff or Jerry Nadler <laughs> or or well, I, unfortunately, I guess there couldn't have been a Nancy Pelosi, could there? No, been? there couldn't have been. No. Um, although, you know, it's interesting. One of the things I mentioned, Ben Wade, who is standing next in line, w one of the pieces of propaganda about him is that he was so scary that he might put Susan B. Anthony in the in the cabinet. Um, oh. So, you know, <laughs> and you also said he wanted women's suffrage. Yeah. 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 That was the So but um what was interesting to me, just to back up these impeachers that really had a different vision of America that kind of gets suppressed because the country didn't go in the direction that they had hoped it would, but they fought really hard. And during the trial and after the trial, particularly, they basically said, one of them, Charles Sumner, senator from Massachusetts, said, this is one of the last great battles with, of slavery, with slavery. In other words, we're mm. still fighting slavery in this impeachment trial. Um, so they had a very broad vision, um, which is interesting because it's it's both reassuring and depressing at the same time, reassuring mm -hmm. that there were people actually in 1868 who who really were of, had a, vi had a vision, were mm -hmm. visionaries. Today, the sort of analogs, I think... I don't I don't know yet. I, I, I don't want to say. Certainly we see people who are standing up, as Adam Schiff did, not just recently, but you know, during other hearings and and is very eloquent and, and very forceful. We'll see what happens. Um, mm -hmm. and who speaks in the Senate. This is interesting what you say. That's a significant statement that that was still the battle for slavery or yes. the last great battle in yes. slavery. Um, I believe it also, you also write that conversely what Andrew Johnson did. And I think a little bit of Lincoln too, because he was for reconciliation, that whole thought process and with Andrew Johnson's help ended up um, keeping that idea of the South being victimized exactly. on one extreme or really never losing on the other extreme. That we still dealing with that in 2019. No, we? exactly. Exactly. And his whole sense of is that if if you give black men, we're not even talking about women, we give right. black men the vote that suddenly you're somehow depriving 
white people. I mean, he believed that. So that's what you sort of, you know, turned into what was called the lost cause. In other words, we in the South lost the war, but we really fought, you know, for something beautiful and wonderful. And we were victimized and humiliated uh, by the North. And, and that's, in a sense, Johnson's view it was very early on. Um, and what's interesting, as I said before, is that there were people who were really pushing hard against that view. Um, yeah. and, and there was a, there were quite a number of them. Um, so that is, in some sense, that was the dream of a just nation. Yeah. You know, um, he, he barely made it out of it. Mm-hmm. So that means there were a number of people who really yeah. were really it was close. It was close. So was that because of people's minds already being made up or during the trial itself? Were there events that were so dramatic mm. that came out during the trial <laughs> that, that maybe moved some votes either way? It was kind of the opposite. That, you know, when you get into a trial, and especially since nine articles of impeachment had to do with the tenure of office, Mm -hmm. you get into kind of legalese. Okay. And you get into questions of, you know, well, was he fired? Didn't Johnson have the opportunity to fight? You know, couldn't he fire him because he was really Lincoln's, he being the Secretary of War, he was really Uh, Lincoln's uh, appointment. You know, so they start arguing like that, and you want to pull your hair out (laughs) (laughs) in a certain sense, because it all becomes really legalese and what was the president for precedent for this and that so it wasn't there were dramatic events it was more like it was boring to people mm-hmm. however there was a man named ben butler with a kind of sort of questionable uh past you know in terms of whatever maybe he was corrupt but he was a very adamant about getting johnson out and he would stand up and say things like look the ku klux klan is forming You know, uh, there are articles in the newspaper about violence. The the stakes are really high. And people would accuse him of just being too fiery and too dramatic and too melodramatic. Mm -hmm. So so it was actually the opposite. Well, um, what is there any advice (laughs) that you would give today's (laughs) impeachment? So if if you were up there testifying, those House members like, okay. Uh, Professor, what are your thoughts about this? What was right? What was wrong? What might we do differently? Well, I I think those who said um, that the uh, soliciting foreign interference in an election is a crime. There's no doubt that it's a crime. Um, And it threatens the longevity and the maintenance of democracy. There's no doubt in my mind about that. If it's actually a criminal act, I think it probably can be proved to be bribery, which would be satisfying to those who want a criminal act. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think it's also important and important to underline that Things aren't going fast just for the sake of going fast. They're going fast because an election is coming up. And because, for example, Robert Mueller, at the end of his testimony, whatever you think of the testimony, was very clear about one thing. And he was very clear about 
there's interference in our election. There was, and it's going to happen again. And that's really scary. So I think a broad view of impeachment is also very, very important. So we don't get caught up in the kind of legalese of what did the though mean in the call Mm. and what did the ellipses mean? Because you're going to, you're going to lose senators. Um, Maybe there are some wobbly ones. Yeah, I would hope so. Um, so you might even consider advising using some of the Mueller evidence. I don't know about that, but I certainly would advise using obstruction because the stonewalling, the right. refusal to allow certain people in the White House to testify, that's basically obstruction of justice. But and the, I would use that. But the other thing, too, the Roger Stone trial suggests mm. that Trump may have committed perjury which was the, the the main impeachable offense against Bill Clinton. That's right. That's right. But did he commit perjury before he was in office? Because that's something I'm not clear about. So that. Uh, allegedly. Yeah. Um, but he's an un- he's a he's a un or unnamed. I don't he's a he's an unnamed co-conspirator in um, in the trial of uh, against Cohen. Right. Who's in jail. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. So but what it is specifically and on, this is only allegedly. Yeah. Uh, well, this is not alleged. Tr- it is a fact mm-hmm. that in his written answers to Mueller, uh-huh. he said he had no oh, foreknowledge right, right, right. of Assange and WikiLeaks and the hack. Mm-hmm. In Stone's trial, it right, came out right. that they were in direct communication every day. So it would, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's the technicality. Right. And and the technicality is probably. I've talked to some prosecutors, yeah. and they say, Mark, no. Perjury is a very big deal to us. Maybe not to the public, but we don't play that. So yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't call it a technicality. But no, if, in fact, I he think, lied to yeah. Mueller yeah. in writing, which right. still requires truthful honesty and oath. Exactly. Sure. Then people are wondering whether that's something to, be, to consider. So I guess it gets back to this argument of, of narrow versus broad. Right. I, and I, I would I would want people to hear. And that's why we're doing this interview. Um your perspective on narrow versus broad, because obviously yeah. one of the lessons of the Johnson impeachment was the narrowness. You it was know, too kinda, narrow, you too long. Lost people. Right. And that's what Thaddeus Stevens, one of the impeachers, one of the sort of most powerful impeachers, the representative from uh, from Pennsylvania, who was a longstanding abolitionist and very clear about his views. He was the one, sick as he was, he was very ill at the time, who agitated for the 10th and especially the 11th article which accused Johnson of obstruction and abuse of power, maladministration, and, you know, all the things that he now becomes famous for. Yeah. If you infamous for. (laughs) So, and and they were, I think it was in their wisdom, it was very creative to include those things. Absolutely. I think if I were there today, I would even include how he invites mockery of world leaders, because that's what just happened in London <laughs> the other day. You had oh, a whole group you of world mean leaders. For, for Trump? You yeah, mean, yeah, you had um, a whole group of, for Trump, you had a whole yeah. group of world leaders, literally, on, they captured on video. I know, I saw Ridiculing him. The, the, a member of the royal family, Princess Anne. I mean, it's just, that's not, yeah. Charlie, we, we have the, Charlie um, uh, uh, also said 21 years ago, this clip was popular, about how Clinton had demeaned the stature of the office. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Well, what is more demeaning to the stature of the office than to be folks to be standing around drinking cocktails, joking 
in Buckingham Palace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I know, but 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 again, you want to be careful about things like that because if you you don't want to throw too much at the wall. In right. other words, I'm all for abuse of power. I'm all for obstruction of justice. As I said sure. specifically, the stonewalling and the in in inventing this thing called sort of blanket um, executive privilege that doesn't exist. You know yeah. things like that because otherwise there are just so many things that we i think at least i could start to look at that 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 so offend me and i find so offensive and so terrifying not just to this country but to the world really yeah, yeah. i wonder though if republicans took the teeth out of the impeachment process for all time with clinton impeachment and by that i mean the other two examples johnson yeah, and, nixon, and nixon and nixon to get that far Johnson was was razor thin. Nixon was done. That's why yes, he went exactly, on ahead and resigned. Exactly. So you have two parallels there. Well, look, this was this was really about right, to go down. Right, right, right. The Republicans used it. Um, I mean, and, and I mean, I'm I'm partisan, mm-hmm. but if I put on the most objective hat I right, can, right. You know, they searched and searched and searched and investigated and investigated. Until they found something. Until they found something that was not even directly related. Right. That's to the, right. To so the they wanted to get him. Right. And, and, it, and, it was a, and it was a sex scandal. And, no, no. And, and there's no way, you know, that I as a woman am going to endorse anything that Clinton did in that Oval Office. Sure, sure, sure. But impeachment is something else again. And I, I'm with you on that. It, it may have, it, they have made sort of made impeachment, debased impeachment, yeah. you know, the whole idea of impeachment in that particular case. And because it's not debased here, I think it's really important. And when Nancy Pelosi got on television this morning, I saw her, you know, when she announced it, and she said, this is a sad and solemn day. Yes, yes. I felt it. I yeah. really did. Yeah. I mean, this is, I. what I was thinking is, I'm I'm shocked that it's happening again in my lifetime. But now I feel the stakes are high. They weren't high with Clinton. Yeah. You know, yeah. we didn't feel that the nature of democracy or... If I were a Republican, the nature of the de- de- Republican Party was at stake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and no, I, I agree. As, and as a matter of fact, if if the impeachers in, in Johnson's time, again, while they were too narrow, they still focused on something more specific than abstract. Like yes. they didn't impeach yes. him for... Just for the sake, of just he was drinking too much. No, you know, <laughs> they, I mean, they might have liked to have done that, right? But, but no, but I mean, no, that, they didn't go there. They yeah. did not go there. You know, for a while there was a certain group of them, of Republicans who wanted to go there, and they were basically looking through his waste paper basket, yeah. and they were, you know, having there were allegations of you know women right, coming right, in and right. out of the White House, right. and you know nothing could be proved, and it seemed kind of smarmy. But nobody wanted to go down that sort of Clinton-esque route mm-hmm. because it 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 wouldn't have been fair to the country because the issues were so important and because Congress was more focused on changing the nature of the country than keeping or getting Johnson out of you know out of office right, just for the sake of getting him out. Yeah, so did- that's why it wasn't a trap. Because, you know, he was irrelevant at that point. They had passed reconstruction laws that they were, you know, uh, uh, committed 
to changing the nature of the country by enfranchising black men and then later with the 15th Amendment making that part of the Constitution. So what was the aftermath of the trial and the acquittal? Did it have a positive or negative effect on the country that the impeachers were trying to salvage? Well, I'm glad, and I think there was a, a positive effect in two ways. One is that the process worked. You know, and recently I was asked, you know, does the process work? And I think it does. You know, you can have people sort of uh, uh, tinkering or, or, or crying about it, but basically it was an orderly process. When you think of what was going on in the country between 1865 and 1868, Anything could have happened. And Johnson at one point is saying, well, I didn't call the military. Like, what? You were going to call the military? Sort of this kind of um, bombast and this kind of uh, braggadocio that we might hear today. Um, but it went on in an orderly fashion. And whether you agreed with the outcome or not, you felt that there were a number of people actually who voted to keep Johnson in office because they thought it was the right thing to do, because there were actually very good arguments on both sides if you actually look at them. However, I think it's really important to remember that there was an opportunity to change the country and it didn't change as quickly and as 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 it should have, really. So the effect of it was, in a sense, too bad. I mean... I wouldn't say tragic, but certainly too bad. But fortunately, just one more thing, you did have Ulysses S. Grant. Right. And he had been radicalized, ironically, by Johnson, because he wasn't a radical or a progressive anything when he started. But, mm. but, but just by being near Johnson, and he actually fought, you know, in words with Johnson in the press, because he found Johnson to be so... Um, um, Terrible, really, yeah, in so yeah. many ways. You can almost draw somewhat of a parallel between Johnson and Stanton and and his firing. I mean, Trump is doing that. I mean, you know, you had a whole yes. you've had a whole group of witnesses who were ousted by exactly. Trump. No, exactly. You exactly. know, I mean, Stanton and then who and, and then he berates them right, at the same right. time is that they're testifying. So I mean, that's quite something in that way. So, so yes, so, that's so right. Yovanovitch y- or Taylor could very well be Stanton. Exactly. Um, in, in, in that regard. Um, yeah. No, Yovanovitch, absolutely, in that sense. So uh, I, I want to, let's pretend I'm a student, you're the professor. <laughs> I want to offer a thesis and tell me if I've kind of got this. <laughs> All right. Um, that the stakes today mm. are are quite parallel to the stakes during Johnson's trial. However, the nonpartisanship or bipartisanship Mm -hmm. that existed with Johnson and then with Nixon Mm -hmm. has been undermined, first of all, starting with Clinton. And so it's Mm -hmm. hard to get, it will be hard to get people to vote even as close mm-hmm. as they did with Johnson mm-hmm. because people have made the process at beginning with Clinton so hyperpartisan. Mm. Yes and no. I okay. think the first part of what you said is absolutely right. The stakes are really high today. 
the stakes were really high in 1868. I can't imagine any higher, really, in a certain sense. And you could also say they're very similar because uh, Johnson was currying favor and, and looking to keep himself in office by keeping black men away from the polls, which is, you know, really, in some sense, tampering with elections. Hello. You know, so that's very similar. So the stakes yeah. are high in, in many, many ways. But the partisanship of 1868, it was not a by, it, there was nothing bipartisan it was going on. Democrats, they didn't like Johnson and they didn't put him on the ticket in 1868, but they backed him. They voted, you know, in, they voted in the Senate uh, to a man to keep him in office. I see. They I wanted see. to keep him in office. They wanted to get rid of him, but they didn't want him impeached for many reasons. You know, they were the ones who were sort of spreading the money around, actually. Did the public get the stakes back? I mean, we didn't have cable and yeah, C we had a lot of we had a lot of newspapers. I mean, you know, it's not the same, but we had a. Uh, uh, so for know, that time, the interest yeah, level was as high. There was a high. It was all over the newspapers all the time. And we had the Telegraph. Doesn't It seems kind of old-fashioned now. But you had a lot of journalists. You know, had a whole reporter's gallery. And as soon as something happened, they'd run and they'd telegraph, you know, to their editors. So there was, and there were three, four, five editions of the newspapers a day, even in small towns. So it's kind of interesting that way. Um, what, was it reported? Also, in a way that people got the stakes, was it was it reported yes. with people clear that this was very much about slavery and disenfranchisement? Depends on which paper you were reading. Of course, nothing has changed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so yes, some people did get that. But okay. some people thought, oh, what are you talking about? We freed the slaves. Yeah. Move uh, on. Right. Now it's up to them to do what they want to do. Wow. Stuff never changes. Though. This sounds, sounds well, very familiar. <laughs> I think I've heard that in my lifetime. You think? <laughs> <laughs> you elected, we elected a black president. I know. Yeah, so it's all in good. In our lifetime. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly, it's, so it's all good. That's right. It's all over now. But, but again, I think, a, too, a larger lesson <laughs> is that, you know, America's, the ebb and flow of American history is repetitive. Mm. So you have a civil war, a war to enslave the 13th Amendment, and then an immediate backlash or mm. white lash, if you will. <laughs> you elect the first black president mm. and, and, then the you, and then you got you right back. It's like it's a it's a it's a whipsaw. Yeah. But I don't think it's the same. In other words, okay. I think it's a whipsaw. But I think there, but 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 there is an incremental change. There is a kind of difference. I mean. It's really incremental. It took a hundred years before you got another civil rights bill, right, right? right? I mean, so that's not good, but you did get it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? In yeah. a way, yeah, okay, you got a black president, you say everything's cool now, just move on, but you did get a black president. You get a black president. So it's, you know? yeah, and I mean, you, so there's progress and then setback, progress and then setback. Yeah. And, and, and not to mention, all in between. You don't go back to the same place you were, is my right, point. Right, right. That's uh, all. But, but you also. You don't get as far as you want. Don't go, yeah, don't get as far, but don't go far all the way back. But um, still interspersed throughout is this this need to keep women 
yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. You well, know, and, and, and we're uh, going to have a women women president. That's going to be a little tough. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, because I, we women were ready. didn't. It was get, supposed to happen. I mean, it, uh, we, we all knew it. <laughs> and maybe it was that like, was, oh my, it, but, but maybe describe, that was the problem. Well, that's part of it. But I think the, the, <laughs> the we, point I, know, what, what I also no. see parallel to what you were describing back then mm-hmm. and, and, and Ben Wade, I think it was, and people had the problems. Right. Oh, my God, we can't have a woman. Well, exactly. It's like that's still going, oh, my God, you just that yeah. just you yeah, cannot. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just, when you think about it, when you think about it, black men got the vote. Right. Before women. And not just a year or two or three or four. Right, right, right. You know, it's like uh, 70 years, 60 mm, years. Mm. I and mean, that's really quite incredible when you yeah, think about yeah. it. So, um, but, you know, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Folks, And I, we're talking about it. So that's the good thing. And congratulations. This Thank is you. This is great. The Impeachers. Uh, by Brenda Whiteapple. Uh, folks, we recommend you get it. This is a required reading over the holidays. I'll be giving a pop quiz <laughs> on uh, uh, when we come back after the new year. Um, so good to meet you and see you. I'm it's glad we were able to, to connect. You. Thank and congratulations you. on the book. Thank you. Speaking it's a real of, pleasure. Spe- speaking of women being empowered <laughs> and women writing books like this, yeah. you know, folks, we need to get with the program. Uh, thank you, Brenda Whiteapple. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, subscribe to Make It Plain and Get Woke daily. Check out makeitplain.com to subscribe. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.